Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Stars daily sports podcast. It's Monday, August 31st. We're a week and a half away from the Chiefs opening game, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. As the NFL season approaches, the Chiefs and their opening night opponent on September 10th, the Houston Texans, were the first to conclude training camp. That happened Saturday for the Chiefs. We speak with beat writers Herbie Teope and Sam McDowell about the most unusual camp, one that occurred at the team's training facility at the Truman Sports Complex and not Missouri Western, before fans twice instead of nearly every day, and before a handful of media instead of a large group. What did the Super Bowl champions accomplish over the past few weeks? Herbie and Sam break it down from camp surprises to possible starters and everything else. After a break, we'll play the press conference with Chief CEO and Chairman Clark Hunt. That happened on Saturday. He spoke to many topics, including contracts, about social media reform and the team's response to that, and about Native American imagery, and much more. But first, let's talk about training camp with Herbie Teope and Sam McDowell. And if you listen closely, you'll hear them bring a little thunder. All right, guys, we need to get going on this because as I look out my window, it is it might as well be midnight. It is that dark here. And we've had a couple of claps of thunder and lightning that have hit too close to uh, for comfort. And uh, uh, and I hope I don't want to lose power here for the next uh, 15 or 20 minutes or so. So um, let's talk about the Chiefs and training camp is now officially over. What a what a blurred line it's been in the preseason for me, just keeping up with when training camp started, wh- where they were in training camp, and and now training camp is over because they say it's over, and you look at the calendar, and it's, it's time to be over. But with no preseason games, it was just so hard to get your bearings on just what the preseason was about. Uh, did, did you get that same sense, Herbie? Oh, absolutely. It was, it was kind of interesting, you know, going out there. And first off, the thing you're struck with is you have to get COVID testing every day. Uh, and so that was that that was the first sign that, hey, this is not a usual training camp. I mean, our testing period started a week before camp even started. Uh, and then so you're, you have to get out there early in the morning to get COVID tests and get the nasal swab. Uh, but, but once you're on the practice field, even that didn't seem like it, it was typical football because you're so far away from the, the players. You're separated social distancing in, in accordance with NFL protocols. But, you know, once once you started like. You got used to that aspect, maybe after a day or so, then you're like, okay, now we're back. This is football because, you know, there was hitting, you know, they were in pads. And I think like for us, what really struck us out there was when you, when you heard the oohs and the ahs, whenever there was a good player, you heard the pad smacking in the hole. You're like, okay, it's football. Were you were you the same distance away as you are uh, normally? I was thinking about where we were, you know, where we were stationed at St. Joe when we were at Missouri Western um, not too far from the field, uh, but how about how, how far were you from the field? We were on the opposite end, yeah, they, because they wanted to keep us far away from where the players were, and I get it. You know, it's it's we we are under some unique times, obviously, but yeah, we were we were pretty much far away. Even the reporters, you know, they had boxes for us out there, and you're separated six feet. And then it's it is funny because uh, Nate Taylor from the Athletic would always take photos of the grass where we were standing. So the day one, it was nice and green, and by the end of camp, it was just dead. <laughs> yeah, we, the players typically they were far away from us. And Sam, I you know for you, 
you'd been up to St. Joe many times uh, over the years, but this was going to be the first time for you to be up there like every day. And um, it just didn't work out. Uh, so uh, how, how were you able to keep up with things from, from distance? Uh, phone calls with Herbie. Pretty much. <laughs> um, so it kind of hit me with the double whammy. First, I couldn't go to practice. Second, I had to talk to Herbie on the phone every single day after practice. Um, but, it, it, you know, I was really looking forward to camp because, as you know, Blair, and obviously Herbie, but you get to more knowledge at training camp than you do at any other point in the season because you get to watch every snap of practice every day. Um, so I was really looking forward to just just – seen what they thought of players based on where they lined up and, and who they lined up with. And um, of course, seeing Patrick Mahomes practice is entertaining in and of itself. So, um, but, but it's hard to complain because during this COVID time, so many people are going through far worse than not being able to go out to cheese practice. No doubt about it. it, it but you're right, Sam. I mean, just think about training camps of uh, previous years, especially with Mahomes, at the at quarterback, you just never want to take your eyes off of him. And did you guys hear that um, rumbling? Uh, we, we are good. We are getting that through the mic here. How about that? But you never wanted to take your eyes off of Mahomes. He would do something almost every you know every workout. And and there was, you know, I, I know he had his moments this year too, didn't he, Herbie? There were I heard some um, some stories of some crazy Mahomes touchdown throws. Oh, absolutely. You know, for me. You got to remember, this is my first training camp since I came back on the Chiefs B. So, you know, I've first, never, first I Mahomes camp. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't have the benefit of, of all the throws that you, you saw people writing about over the last two years. You know, I, I came from New Orleans, obviously, and then Drew Brees is, is an elite quarterback. And, you know, he, he's an elite quarterback, but he's a technician. And so when you watch Brees throw, you do have some jaw dropping moments. Because, you know, you always like the way Brees commands the field and he sees the field. And then there's Mahomes. This guy was making throws, sidearms, running, running to his left and throwing, throwing off his back foot and the ball's going to his right. And then your jaw just constantly drops. And so I kept looking over at, you know, our, our colleague, Sam Mellinger, who was out there with us, and then Nate Taylor and Adam Teicher, because we were the only four 2M guys. And I, I was, like, getting jacked up about it. I kept looking at him, and they were like, and Melly would be like, and we're used to this now. We saw this last year. <laughs> Been there, like, done that. I didn't see this. So it was like, it's just insane some of the throws he was making. And you just come away so impressed. And, and Sam is absolutely correct because he does try throws there that, you know, he wants to see how it's going to work. There was one throw in particular that really just stands out to me. And I know Melly wrote about it as well. was the, the submarine Dan Quisenberry type throw, team drills, there was zero window, and he somehow got the ball. I, I think it was Demarcus Robinson, or it could have been Garrett Geeter who, who snatched it up. And it was just everyone's jaw just dropped. You know, it's like, how does he make this throw? He's a, he's an amazing athlete, and that's for damn sure. Well, in years past, you'd have had footage of that, right? Either either a local television camera would have caught it, or someone's cell phone camera would have caught it sitting on the side up at up at uh, Missouri Western, but. Uh, the only people with video evidence of that throw would have been the Chiefs, the Chiefs' own production folks. Maybe it's on their website. I don't know. I didn't see it, but uh, um, but yeah, that's I, I did miss it. And I felt bad for the fans this year too. I know they had two practices with fans allowed in Arrowhead Stadium, but this would have been a year where they would set record attendance, uh, uh, would have had record attendance at St. Joe 
I imagine they'd have been packed almost every day. It's I, I've, I've said all along that it's it's one of the best fan experiences in Kansas City is traveling up to Missouri Western for training camp because it's only five bucks to park your car, free to walk in, autographs for the kids, you know, after uh, after workouts. It's just a great experience that that people weren't um, didn't have access to this year. So. Hopefully next year we'll see. But as in every training camp, there are players that you that surprise you a little bit, uh, some that you kind of shake your head at. Uh, mostly surprised though, in in a good way. And Herbie, since you were there every day, we kind of lean on you for for some thoughts on this. Not just the surprises, but maybe who um, you know who, who might have been might be seen as a breakthrough type of player. I'll start with the easy one and say Clyde Edwards-Alaire got a lot of uh, good pub by those eyewitnesses at training camp. Yeah, and, and here's the thing, because I, I have to be careful here. You know, there were some strict reporting guidelines, which, which, you know, I have my personal thoughts on that, but I get it. You know, the, the, the Chiefs, and it wasn't just the Chiefs. It, was, it seemed like this was uniform across the NFL. Because practices were not open to fans or to the public, uh, we, we couldn't report who was lining up where, uh, you know, what, what personnel packages were were out there unless the coach specifically said it. And I know, you know, I'm not going to say his name, but there was a national media person <laughs> that came out and, and, you know, wrote about the death chart and everything like that. But, you know, unfortunately, it, it, for some reason or another, they follow different rules from us. Now, we do know this. Clyde Edwards-Alaire was running with the ones because Andy Reid specifically said he's running with the ones. So that's not going to be a surprise to a lot of people. What would not surprise me, you know, is you know when you talk about players that surprise, Ben Neiman. You know, I, I think once the season starts, this would not surprise me one bit that the Chiefs rolled out with in the base package in their four-three base. The starting linebackers could be, you know, obviously Anthony Hitchens. Damian Wilson, and I'm not going to be stunned whatsoever if Ben Neiman is lining up with the ones. Uh, when you talk about on the offensive side of the house, that you lost Blake Bell, a, a key person, a tight end there, a key person in their Tiger personnel package when they run two tight end sets. What Bell was the complimentary blocker to Travis Kelsey. But I would, you know, and again, I would not be surprised one bit if Nick Kaiser, their second year pro who spent last year on the practice squad was the, was the guy they turned to because, you know, just from based on what we saw out there, you know, he's made available to the public. Kaiser never came out and said, Hey, I'm running with the ones, but tight ends coach Tom Melvin did say he's running with the ones so that we can, you know, those, we right. can say that. Uh, but yeah, those were probably the two biggest surprises to me because we know, especially with Neiman, the Chiefs spent a second round pick on linebacker, Willie Gay jr. Uh, but, Spagnolo's scheme, if we remember last year, it took a lot of it took a while for even the veterans on the defensive side to get it. And Gay didn't have the benefit of any reps during the offseason because the Chiefs with COVID-19 were robbed of organized team activities, the rookie minicamp, and mandatory minicamp. So if they do go with Neiman, it makes perfect sense because now you have the opportunity to ease in Gay so he can grasp the scheme. Blair, that, that speaks to a larger issue here, too, is, is that veterans are going to have an advantage when we look at what the depth chart is going to be, at least initially, 
and also what the 53 is going to be. They're going to go with known commodities because they didn't get to see these guys even under preseason lights, obviously under uh, mini camp and, and rookie camps and that sort of thing. But, you know, Dave Tobe said that well on special teams. You know, Herbie and I are, are think that one of the, the key battles for, for this team is the fifth wide receiver spot. You know, Jody Fortson certainly impressed Herbie, we know. Um, but they've got Byron Pringle back. Um, you know, they've got Garrick Dieter back. And then they brought back Marcus Kemp after he looked like he was going to make the team last year. And the fifth wide receiver spot has to play special teams. Well, Dave Tobe wants somebody who's used to playing special teams because special teams don't really go full contact in, in training camp. So all these veterans are going to have a major advantage on rookies. We, we talked a lot about the the undrafted guys being behind because there's not as many of them. There's only 80 guys on the roster instead of 90. They didn't get a chance to prove that they should have been drafted. Well, even the ones that did get those tryouts aren't getting the full shot that they would in a normal year because they don't have preseason games to, to, to prove that they should be on this roster. And that's that's a fantastic point, Sam, because if you remember um, when, when Toad talked to us last week, that question was specifically posed to him. What are you looking for with your fifth and sixth wide receiver? And, you know, Jody Fortson, no doubt, he was a training camp star. Every time you looked up every day, he was making a phenomenal catch. They did the one Tyron Matthew even had to tweet about it because Fortson made an incredible one-handed grab on him. And it was just everyone just immediately turned and looked at each other. But what hurts him is the unknown. You know, Tove specifically mentioned Byron Pringle, Marcus Kemp, and Garrett Dieter when it comes down to that fifth or sixth wide receiver and noticeably absent in his uh, his assessment of what he looks for was Jody Fortson. So you're right. I, I, the Chiefs are set up perfectly for COVID because they have so many returning players. They, they don't have a complete roster turnover. So it, it just doesn't surprise me if they do go with the no. Okay. Hey, so let's, uh, let's wrap it up with this. We're going to hear, we're going to take a break and listen to uh, Clark Hunt in, in his entire, the entirety of his press conference. He met with the media on Saturday. Uh, I, I'll tip my cap to the Chiefs. All the, the, the preseason interviews uh, that, that happen in, in normal times you know, with Mark Donovan, with the coaches, with the players, they, the, the Chiefs have attempted to do the, the, the same thing, replicate it in the unusual time. So a salute to the Chiefs for doing that. And we got to hear from from Chiefs Chairman and CEO Clark Hunt on on Saturday. So Sam, I'll ask you, was anything that uh, Clark Hunt's say, any, what was the, the, the news from his press conference that we should be paying attention to? I think really probably, Blair, that the two things that you and I asked about stood out the most, which is, um, you know, it, it's a fact that back in 2016 and 2017, when Colin Kaepernick was a storyline, but also locally when Marcus Peters set for the anthem, didn't kneel for it, but he set during the anthem. Uh, Clark Hunt said he relayed to his players that, you know, while it's your decision, we prefer if you stood for the anthem. And we're going to see some sort of demonstration out there on Thursday night for opening night for the Chiefs. Not exactly sure what that's going to be because the players have told us they're not exactly sure what, that, what that's going to be. But of course, kneeling for the anthem has to be in play. And so I asked him, you know, do you still are you still telling the players you prefer for them to stand? And I didn't think we got a great answer on that. And I, I don't mean that his answer was bad. I'm saying we, we got sort of a non-answer on that. He didn't really yeah. say whether or not he told us that he, he would prefer they stand. But he did acknowledge that times are different than they are back in 
2016-2017, and I think you could debate that. I mean, certainly um, social injustices and, and racial inequality was an issue back in 2016-2017. Maybe it's just more at the forefront of the conversation than it was back in that time. So I think maybe he's sort of acknowledged he would be okay with it, but he didn't just come out and say that. And then part two of that, like I said, is what you asked, Blair, um, about the Native American imagery that's going to be banned in Arrowhead Stadium. And, and you took it a step further. And, um, you know, we asked about the the um, the name in play. And he basically said that the name is not during their conversations with American Indian groups here locally in Kansas City that they've been having since 2014. They haven't really brought up the, the name or, or the Arrowhead Stadium name as, as part of their wish list of, of things that they would desire to get changed here. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Uh, and I wasn't sure where the team stood on those particular topics. I don't. Mark Donovan was asked about it earlier in the week, and, and we didn't get to the, the name of the, the team nickname or the Arrowhead Stadium name. And in both cases, talking to, to Mark and to, uh, and to Clark, you know, they were both asked about the chop. They both avoided it, I think, purposely. And there's just I don't, I'm not sure what they think they can say about it outside of what the, what the statement said, which is they're just exploring and looking for uh, it, further discussions, I guess, when it comes to the, the Arrowhead chop. So just, um, you know, different place for uh, for in the conversation. And the, the topic kind of moves along with the with the Chiefs. So uh, so we will hear Clark Hunt. In his uh, the entirety of his, his uh, uh, press conference on Saturday uh, after a break, and this is where we bid farewell to Herbie Teope and Sam McDowell. Guys, thanks for joining me, and we'll do this again, I think, later in the week. Thanks, Blair. Hey, Blair, can I add one more thing though before we chop off here? Please do. Yeah, because I know, like you know, we forgot to mention that Bashad Breeland. And- is officially oh, yeah. suspended for the first four games of the season. Uh, I just would not be surprised if Rashad Fenton is the, gets the first shot at it. Okay, I like that. I like uh, ending ending our segment with a little bit of uh, with a good observation. I wouldn't be surprised either. He's got a year under his belt, and um, uh, and uh, look, as Sam was saying earlier. It's, it's just a year, right? But it is a year in the system, and I, I can see him benefiting from that in this situation. So, okay, guys, good conversation. We'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks, Blair. Thanks, Blair. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars' award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important please visit kansascity.com slash sportsbeatkc offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Well, it's uh, good to see everybody. Uh, it's great to be at Arrowhead. I enjoyed watching practice today, having our fans out there for it. And of course, raising that Super Bowl 54 championship flag. A very special moment for my brother and I, and I think the, the team, the coaches as well.
Let's go to Adam Teicher to start us off. Go ahead, Adam. Hey, Clark, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. Congratulations on that new book of yours. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Now, you got to read it now. So, uh, um, hey, wanted to ask you a couple things, Clark. We have not had a chance to talk to you since Pat's uh, new contract. Um, first off, um, what was your role in all of that beyond maybe what you normally would have on one of bigger, a, a bigger contract? Like, say, Chris Jones, uh, Travis Kelsey, going back to last year, Frank Clark. And also... What layer or layers of difficulty did the pandemic add to, to doing that? Was it was it difficult for the organization to proceed with a contract of that magnitude, not knowing where the future might be going? Yeah. Uh, well, just starting with my role, um, I've mentioned to you guys before on all of our big contracts, uh, I'm very actively involved with our staff with Brett and his team in terms of working up the proposals and exactly you know where we want to go as we go through it through the process. Uh, obviously, the timing was a big issue uh, on this uh, particular extension, um, uh, not only because it was Patrick coming off the Super Bowl, but because we were dealing with the pandemic as well. Uh, I think you guys saw during the summer, there were very few big contracts done and uh, we just decided internally that, that we were going to move ahead. Uh, we know we've got a special group of players here, a young core of players who just won a championship and have, have a chance to win hopefully several more. And we just thought it was important to go ahead, get Patrick done, and then uh, – Chris done and, and Kelsey extended. Uh, so yeah, it, it took, it took a little bit of nerve. I would, I would say, you know, there were definitely some days where I was like, you know, uh, I'm not sure this is the right thing because we didn't even know we were going to have a season. Uh, we don't know what the salary cap is going to be next year. Uh, but uh, we were able to construct the contracts in a way that we'll be able to navigate whatever happens and a uh, huge plus for, for the chiefs. And we're obviously delighted to have those players here for the long term. Go to Sam McDowell. Go ahead, Sam. Hey, Clark. How are you? Hey, great. Thanks. Um, we've seen, uh, especially this summer, a lot of athlete-led demonstrations about social injustices. You had mentioned in 2017 that you had told your players, you know, you prefer that they would stand for the national anthem. I'm wondering if that's still the case, and um, if you've had any conversations with players about demonstrations that they might have on opening night. Yeah, so I've not had any conversation uh, with the players uh, on those issues. Um, I would say that, you know, we're in a very different place uh, as a country. Uh, these issues are very important to our players. They're important to our coaching staff, our entire organization. And uh, this is a time to, to be sensitive. It's a time to listen. It's a it's a time to understand, um, and I, I recognize that you know around around the league there may be uh, some kneeling that goes on with the national anthem, and I just think the country is in a really different place at this point. Let's go to Herbie T.O.V. Go ahead, Herbie. Hey Clark, uh, good morning. You mentioned some of the extensions there earlier, and then Brett Veach has done a phenomenal job building a championship roster. He worked some magic to get a deal done with Jones extensions done on Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. And I'm curious how much thought has gone into extending Brett. And if there is some thought to that, how close are you? 
Yeah, well, we're very lucky to have Brett as part of our organization. You're exactly right. He's done an amazing job over the last three years of taking a really good roster and turning it into a championship roster. And I think it's a roster now that's going to have a chance for for multiple years to be a contender for the Super Bowl. Uh, He's done an outstanding job. He works extremely well with Coach Reed. He also has a great rapport with our players. Uh, So he's somebody that that we want here for the long term. Uh, We tend to not talk about contract extensions until until they're done. But uh, just suffice it to say that that, uh, we're fortunate to have Brett here and hope he's here a very long time. Let's go to Nate Taylor. Go ahead, Nate. Hey, Clark, I have two questions for you, and thanks for doing this. Uh, you mentioned that the country is in a different time right now. I just wondered if you could explain a little bit more in detail how your team may be able to better reflect uh, where the country is moving in terms of helping uh, social justice. And then secondly, uh, Mark Donovan mentioned the idea of Arrowhead perhaps being a polling booth on Election Day. Just what would it mean for you guys you know, um, and be a alongside the Chiefs and obviously democracy being an important part of the country. Yeah. Uh, Nate, you broke up there a little bit, but I think I got got most of the, the question. Um, you know, going back to the beginning of the summer, uh, we've had a lot of conversations with the leadership group uh, on the team related to the social justice issues. Um, it, it's not something that's new to the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, really going all the way back to the 1960s and 1970s. You know, my dad really encouraged uh, the players to get out there and use their platform to make a difference uh, in the community. A lot of those efforts over the decades have been focused on on things that benefit the minority com- communities. And uh, we're certainly more focused on that than ever. Uh, what I've really appreciated the last couple of years is how engaged the leaders on our, our team are. Uh, and I'll just take Patrick and Tyron uh, as examples. They're, they're very engaged. Uh, they they want to make a difference. They want to do things that are going to make our, our country better, uh, things that are going to help, help us get, get along as a country. Um, you referenced uh, Arrowhead being a, a polling station. That That's one of their big issues is voter registration and, and getting people out, out to vote. And so uh, we've worked with them and we're working with some organizations here, here locally to try uh, to encourage people to get out to vote. We've made an effort to get all of our, our players uh, registered to vote, vote here. And then the icing on the cake would be if we if we could have Arrowhead as a polling station. We don't know if that's going to work out, uh, but we've had some really good dialogue at some of the highest levels uh, with the state, and we, we hope it does. Let's go to Blair Kirkhoff. Go ahead, Blair. Clark, also um, this summer and, and the, the awareness raising of Native American imagery, and I'm just wondering how your feelings have evolved over the course of the years, of course, the Chiefs have you know banned the headdresses and certain types of face paint. But I wonder how your feelings have evolved about the Native American imagery and your feelings on the Arrowhead Chop. Yeah, well, I think really going back seventy years ago when we started the dialogue uh, with our uh, Native American working group uh, here in Kansas City, that group represents approximately thirty tribes ar- around the Midwest. Um, it was a real learning experience uh, for the organization. Um, I, I, I heard Mark Donovan the other day you know, mention just how much he learned, how much we learned as an organization. Uh, we learned that the face paint and the headdresses 
uh, were, were a big issue uh, for the tribes. And we started at that point uh, trying to discourage our fans from, from bringing them to the stadium. Uh, we made some progress on that over the la- last six years. And, of course, this summer we took the next step, which is outright banning them uh, from bringing them in, into the stadium. I think the, the important thing on the, on the entire subject has been how important the education has been. Um, it, it, it's something that's important uh, to the American Indians, uh, both from a cultural heritage standpoint and just uh, preserving their traditions. But it's also a way of educating our fans that these things are offensive uh, to them. So instead of just coming out outright seven years ago and banning it, we've had this education process that's gotten us to the point where we are today. We've now expanded our relationship uh, beyond just the uh, group in the Midwest that we've been working with. We're, we're working with the, uh, the the National Congress of American Indians. Uh, they represent over 570 tribes throughout North America, and we've had some really good conversations with them. They want us to expand our, our education. They want to work with us on that to, to even really take that to a higher level. And I'm sure there'll be some steps down the road we take on other things related to our game day production. Let's go to Pete Sweeney next. Go ahead, Pete. Uh, good morning, Clark. As the league's financial chair, just how difficult has it been to forecast everything that, that goes along with the losses in, in COVID? And maybe what are some strategies that you foresee the league taking really the next decade to get over some of the things that happened this year? Yeah, well, no doubt about it, uh, across professional sports, this is going to be one of the most difficult years ever. Uh, it's certainly in the last 40 or 50 years, there probably will not be a, a year like it. Uh, uh, pretty much everybody is going to lose, lose a lot of money, and there's just no way ar- around it. Uh, the forecasting for the contingencies has also been very difficult. Uh, I mean, I think you guys saw it as we worked through the summer. You know, at times there was question about whether we would even have a season this year. Uh, if, if we had a season, is it going to be 16 games? Uh, are we going to have fans uh, uh, in attendance? Who can have fans, et cetera? So there, there's had to be a whole lot of contingency planning, uh, a lot of preparation to be able to absorb the losses. Um, in, in terms of long term, you know, I'd like to be an optim- optimist and think that a year from now, certainly two years from now, we're going to be, you know, past the pan- pandemic and uh, things will be, you know, somewhat back to normal or hopefully all the way back to normal. So uh, hopefully we, we, we can get back to, to where we were. But I, I think one thing that we've learned this year is to expect the unexpected. And uh, that, that's just where we are. And you've got to be prepared for it. We've got time for a couple more guys. Let's go Matt, Derek, and then Steve Walls to close it out. Go ahead, Matt. Hey, Clark, I appreciate your time as always. Um, Relating to Blair's question about the Native American imagery, um, I'm wondering, curious, how many conversations have you had and what have they been about the Chief's name and the Arrowhead name? And if there haven't been any discussions about those names, what's the difference between the chiefs and say the Washington football team and Cleveland's baseball team and their names? Um, well, I, I, I'll probably stay away from, from comparisons to the Washington football team or, or teams in, in other sports. Um, we've just had a lot of very constructive conversations. And I've been part of those conversations with the leaders at the highest level. And we know the issues that, that they care about. Um, the, the name, uh, and the name of the stadium are, are not things that are high on their list. Um, you know, I, 
I, I don't want to you know, project what's going to happen in the future, but I do know that we've got the right dialogue going on. Uh, these organizations know that we're sincere, uh, we, that we want to help them, that we want to help what they want to do from an education standpoint. Uh, I'm sure there will be more changes uh, in the future, as I mentioned, to our, our game day production. Uh, but uh, they were very uh, supportive of our decision uh, to eliminate the face paint and the headdresses this year. And uh, we'll just continue the dialogue from there. Let's go to Steve Walls with the last one. Go ahead, Steve. Hey, Clark, how you doing? Uh, good. Hey, when you, when you talked about it a little bit earlier, but when you think about your dad, Lamar Hunt, and his black athletes in, in the 1960s when he selected, of course, uh, Buck Buchanan and Otis Taylor from historically black colleges at a time when you know, there may have been some backlash due to, to the racial tension. Uh, how much of what your dad did do you try to emulate as you go uh, with handling things today with your organization uh, as racial issues are going on in the world? Yeah. Well, my dad set a great example for me and my siblings on a lot of issues and probably his greatest strength was how he treated people. And he didn't care where you came from, what your background was, what your race was. He treated everybody he met with respect and appreciation. And that, that's been a, a lesson that, you know, we, we've all learned. And, you know, just bringing it forward to what's going on uh, with racial equality and social injustice, you know, I, I think Andy probably said it as well as anyone. We, we just need to, to love our neighbor. And uh, if we'll do that, this world's going to be a whole lot better place. That will do it for today. Thanks to our production staff of Derek Donovan, Randy Mason, Beth Welsh, Jeff Rosen, Chris Fickett, and Savannah Smith. Tip of the cap to Herbie Teope and Sam McDowell for stopping by and talking Chiefs. Links to their stories can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Hey, earlier in the episode, you heard me talk about the Sports Pass offer. It still stands and still a good one, 30 bucks for a year's worth of sports coverage. And that includes Sports Extra that comes with the E-Edition. There's 54 additional pages of national sports coverage today. Well, here's an even better offer. Buy the entire Kansas City Star product. Sports, news, features, commentary, and analysis, the whole thing. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus additional news, sports, and business coverage with the E-Edition. The details at account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. That's account.com kansascity.com slash subscribe and whether it's the sports pass or the full subscription you're getting and supporting the best sports and news coverage in kansas city and helping us produce programs like sports kc thanks for listening and we'll be back on tuesday with another episode